that words that can encompass who he is. Uh, on the molecular level, on the physical level, on the spiritual level, on the grand level, on a small level, you just can't, you just can't say enough about who he is because he made all things and all things were made for him and by him. So he's in his glory and majesty is in all these things. And what I want to share with you tonight is simply something to stir us up into a place of prayer, of faith, of trusting him. And so I want to tell you how amazing God is, how amazing Jesus is. So I start with this, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And if you look at it, it says this. He is the radiance. I have some outlines. I hope everybody has outlines. This is where all the scriptures are, okay? If you need one, raise your hand and an usher will get you one, Okay. This young man down front here needs one. Okay. Uh, Hebrews 1, verse 3. He, being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. We could spend the rest of the night on that, can't we? All right, but I want to focus on this. He is the radiance of... The radiance of God's glory. What radiates is that which emanates from. So Jesus is the emanation. Jesus is the physical representation of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He holds the very nature of the Father. All that He said was of the Father. All that He did was of the Father. He's the exact or express image of the invisible God, Colossians says. So he is the radiance or the beauty of God's glory. He's the beauty and the love of God. Nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. He's the container of the love of God. He comes from the bosom of the Father. So everything that the Father is, Jesus displays. You got that? So anything that Jesus said, did, acted upon, or even just standing there radiates the magnitude, the glory, the beauty, the essence of the Father of God. And so he, he is everything to us. And He upholds, I love this, the universe by the word of His power. All right? So he, everything in Colossians, Paul kind of repeats this, and he says, through Him all things consist in other words, are held together. So everything is held together by the power of His Word. And, and so when He said, let there be, it still is. He didn't change His mind on that one. Let there be light, there's still light, because He said so. And there's not going to be an end to that light till He says so. And He said, let there be earth, and there was earth. And it's going to be earth till He says it's not going to be earth. And so everything is upheld by him. Do you understand? And, and I'm going to try to do my best to overwhelm you with the descriptions of Jesus so that we just keep going, what? Are you kidding? You've got to know him. And if you're not overwhelmed by him, you don't know him well enough. And so we've got to be amazed by him. So he is the radiance of God's glory. And what I've done is I've picked out in the Gospels here what everybody's response to Jesus was. And you're going to see over and over that they were astonished, they were amazed, they were awestruck, they were overwhelmed. And that should not have stopped. And it should not stop in our lives. And we need to become, uh, we need to get to a place where we are, again, awestruck at his splendor and wonder. Let me just take you to a few places. Luke 4, 36. Amazement came upon them 
all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. (laughs) Jesus can cast down anything evil. Cast it out, cast it down, break its power, break its influence, and we need to be amazed at what he can do. Now, now many of us are scared, and rightly so, of ISIS, right? These people are terrorists. They use terror. That's demonic. They're demonic, demonically led to bring terror. Do you know what? Jesus can speak to that and in an instant destroy it. He can stop it. And he can speak to the worst of all evils and silence it and stop it. And we need to be amazed at that. We need to know that that's the power that's given unto us and is on our side. Amen? Sometimes I think Christians forget who, you know, who's on their side. We're also worried about the, the, the headlines and the Antichrist. What are we worried about? Seriously, what are we worried about? I'll tell you why we've taken our eyes off of him and put him on the waves and the storm. We need to be awestruck at who he is. I'm not worried about nothing. What? Haven't you seen the election? I'm not going to worry. He's awesome. He is awesome. Luke 9, 43. They were all what? Astonished at the majesty of God. Who is the majesty of God? Jesus. They're astonished, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing. (laughs) They're astonished and they're marveling at everything Jesus does. Look, there he goes again. Wouldn't you love to have been a disciple? To, to follow him and go look at what he does now, right? Um, there's a movie out right now called Risen. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen it? There's one of my favorite parts in that movie. The movie is awesome because it portrays an awesome savior after he's risen. And uh, the, one of the apostles that plays, uh, uh, I think it's Nathaniel or whatever, and, and uh, Jesus is going, sees a leper and, and this person says, oh my gosh, what's, what, what's he doing? Why is he going to go touch the leper? He goes, oh, he does this all the time. <laughs> Watch what he does. And, and it's like, man, I wanted to be there. It's like, cut loose, Jesus, man, do that thing. Everybody is astonished at Jesus. How come not anymore? We need to become astonished with Christ, and we need to become those who participate in what makes him astonishing. We need to be so filled with awestruck wonder so that we can explain that wonder to others. But I think we've lost a little bit of it. Luke 5, 8 and 9. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at, at Jesus' knees, saying, look, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. Do you remember that story? They'd been fishing all night long right? These are professional fishermen. And uh, so they're fishing all night long. They come in, no catch, and Jesus walks up on the shore, obviously not a fisherman. And he says, uh, hey boys, why don't you throw your net out on that side of the boat? And he goes, come on. Peter says, well, because it's you, I'll do this for a favor for you. This whole attitude, you know. And they do it and the net literally begins to rock the boat as if it's going to capsize. And Peter falls down. Everybody's jaws are wide open. This is one of the first encounters they have with him. That nature, he knows nature, and nature responds to him. And Peter says, forget about it. I'm such an idiot. 
That's what, you know, have you ever been there? <laughs> but we need to be exposed to that majesty of Christ because we have to get to the place where we say, God, I'm just a sinful person. Why do you bother with me? But he wants to. That's part of his majesty because he loves to take stuff like us and make something marvelous out of it. That's his majesty. The thing about his majesty is not, that, not just that he can throw a mountain in the sea and rip open the sky and, and tear, apart, tear apart physical things. The majesty is that he won't do it to us. The majesty is, is that he will be so gentle, so loving, and so caring that he'll move heaven and earth on my behalf, on your behalf. That's what's so majestic about him. That he cared. He could sum everything up in a second and say, look it, I'm done, we're over, it's done. But no, he waits, Peter says, he waits so that more can be saved. So that he could interact with more souls. And his majesty would touch someone else. It's tremendous, it's wonderful. Mark 1, 27. They were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority he commands even the unclean spirits to obey him right and we saw that in luke and so they're all amazed at his teaching and his authority to teach i love when i share or i'm talking to someone and you share a truth of scripture and it breaks through their soul someone who's been condemning themselves or in guilt and in shame and and you share the message of this redemption that their sins are cleansed and forgiven and that God has washed them away, wiped them away through the love of Christ, and they begin to get that. And that's astonishing when a human soul is converted to love Jesus, no longer afraid, but in fact calling out Savior. That's astonishing. It's marvelous. It's wondrous that a dead human soul can come alive by faith. That's miraculous. Matthew 9, 8. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Matthew 8, 27. Then men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. First it was fish coming into a net. Now it's a storm and the waves and the wind. He Remember this? He, the wave and the wind starts blowing and there's a storm and they're afraid they're going to die and Jesus gets up and he speaks to the wind and he silences the water. Do you know how much force that had to take? You know, for him to stop the wind, I mean, you know, this is a closed system around planet Earth and, and uh, if, if you've studied any of the the physics and all the aspect of the science of uh, the airstream and, and uh, all this stuff where the wind blows in one place. The quantum physics says that if a butterfly flaps its wings in Brazil, we feel the effects here in Detroit. I mean, it's that much of a system. So for Jesus to change the system of a storm in an instant, imagine the, the power. That's enough. It's done. But then think about this water that's churning and moving and rocking and he says silence and it just you know how much force it would take to bring that water from rocking and 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 flowing to simply still as glass that's force and that's power why did he do it though why did he do it 
Yeah, for those 12 guys in that boat. He did it for them. He showed that great power for them. And that didn't save anybody's life. That didn't change anything. They weren't going to die. That didn't do anything miraculous other than they needed to believe. And so he would condescend to their need. And and he'll do that for us. Now that's something we should say is awesome. More than the wind and the wave. and the That's awesome that he cares about us. We go on. Mark 6-2, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And with what wisdom was it given to him such miracles as performed by his hands? So, not only signs and wonders, but again, truths. Truths and revelations about God. They had been hearing religious truths from Pharisees and scribes who had so distorted the understanding of who God was. They had made it so legalistic and so many constraints and so many things that misrepresented the love of God and who God was that Jesus came and he just began to reveal the nature of God. Have you ever been around people who don't know God? They have so many odd beliefs and understandings about God. And there's so many folks who who claim to be Christians who identify with Christianity, but they have such a distorted view of the love of God. I'm working with someone right now that that just cannot grasp the God of the Old Testament. Jesus I get, but this God of the Old Testament, I can't buy him for a minute. I don't like him at all. And so I'm trying to help him understand Jesus is the revelation of that God. You're, You're not understanding that God. You're not understanding the God of the Old Testament. And so Jesus just began to reveal Father. How many of us need to begin to do that with other people? You know the Father because you know Jesus. And for you to begin to, how many of you have done this? Explain something at work, explain something uh, on the job, uh, uh, what's Easter about or what's this? And, And you simply just give an explanation. They're like, wow, that's profound. And you're like, "Eh, it's kind of like Jesus 101. (laughs) But they don't know these things. You do. You can astonish people out here by who Jesus is and his love for us, but we've got to reach them with an astonishing message. We need to try to do that. Let's go on. John 7, 15, the Jews were then astonished, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? They didn't see his rabbinical studies. They didn't see him studying here and there with famous rabbis. He didn't need to. He's the Word of God become flesh. And and at age 12, he astonished them, right? Matthew 22, 22, hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, there's, there were some times when they asked Jesus, get out of here, we're scared of you. They were too amazed, too astonished. I think some people are still in that place. Mark 12, 17, Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. To, and, and they were all amazed at him. Again, the profound wisdom. Look at the wisdom of our world right now. You know, the best of the best are running for president right now. Really? This is the best we've got to offer? We're so advanced. 21st century. Yeah, science has helped us so much. We are really on our road to utopia, aren't we? 
Yeah. No, we're worse than we ever have been. And, and so what you have to offer is the wisdom of God. Don't back away from it. Don't, don't be quiet about it. We have the revelation of God to give to these people, which is so profound. But they'll ridicule it and they'll mock it. They may walk away. But there are some who will be astonished when it reaches their heart. Why didn't anyone tell me this before? I've heard that many times. How come nobody told me? Many people have grown up with a, an understanding of what they think Christianity is, but they haven't met Jesus. You are to astonish them and marvel at them at who he is because you embody him. Does this make sense? You represent him. Let me ask you a question. Where's the Holy Spirit? In us. So we're containers of the Spirit of God, right? We need to bring, we're bringing God into every situation we're in. You're bringing God. We're bringing God. I don't need to, I need to be there so God shows up. Obviously, He's omnipotent and uh, omniscient and He's everywhere, and we know the theology, but when I step into the place, I'm a container for God, and so they need what I have, and they need me to bring God to the forefront because they need God. How how can we deny them of the Lord? And we're worried about, well, I I hope I say the right thing. I hope I don't do that. Just begin to love. Begin to love. Begin to bring light. Begin to bring revelation. You have enough of this. You know enough of this that we really need to begin to understand who we are. We need to marvel at this. I contain God. Could you imagine if you were the only, well, if, if you're on the moon and you're the only person on the moon with oxygen? And you walk in and you're masked and you're, how's everybody doing? And they're all going, you're going, I wonder if they'll accept my oxygen or not. They're dying. We've got to give it to them, right? What? Well, I'll go on. All right, let's go on. Luke 20, 26. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people. And being amazed at his answer, they became silent. His truth will silent the foolish. Matthew 22, 33. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Matthew 19, 25. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, then who could be saved? This is amazing. I can't believe it. In Luke 24, 41. When they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? I mean, <laughs> that's just funny. I mean, Jesus says something so astonishing, so amazing. They're all knocked out. He says, has anybody got a Snickers? No, he says, you know, he's going to feed the 5,000. Anybody got anything to eat here? I mean, it's, this is the nature of God. And we've forgotten the nature of God. We're not amazed by Him. We're not awestruck by Him. We're not overwhelmed by Him. We've made Him such a pal, such a buddy, and we've made so many excuses for Him because He just doesn't show up enough. That's what we think. That we've neutered God. He's a pet chameleon that'll change according to the color that we need. Come on, people. 
The reason the church is so weak is because the church is not amazed at who he is. How, how can we bring something that we're not that impressed with? How can we brag on something if we're not that impressed with it? Do you know what I mean? Like your mother's meatloaf. That's all right. When you taste something amazing, you brag on it, don't you? Right? You've seen something. That's awesome. You've got to see it. How many of you know people like that? They, they taste something. They've got to invite everybody. You've got to try this. You've got to taste this. Here, taste this. I don't want to taste it. Taste it! Okay. It's, well, it's pretty good. Pretty good! <laughs> this is awesome! Stopping everybody else. That's the church on fire. That's the church so impressed with their Savior, they got to brag on Him. And we've become dull. Turn with me to Acts 29, 28. This is an amazing reference to the Jews from Paul. Paul is awestruck when he met Jesus. It, it knocked him down. Jesus, just the radiance. Remember we said he's the radiance of God's glory. Just the radiance of his presence knocked Paul flat on his back. His radiance of his resurrected glory blinded Paul. Blinded him completely. Knocked him down. And he said, Lord, who is it? He knew this was an encounter with God, and, and he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? How long are you going to kick against the ox goad? So obviously, God had been poking and prodding him. It started when Stephen was stoned. You can see in Paul's references later on, he always references Stephen. He always talks about it later in the account. So, so this struck him when he saw Peter say, hey, I see Jesus <laughs> standing at the right hand of God. And everybody's going, are you crazy? Kill him. That struck him. The ox goad went into Paul. And so he had been resisting the work of Christ, resisting. He said, how long are you going to kick against this thing? And, and so he, he says, yes, Lord. He has an encounter with the radiance of God's glory. And from then on, he's a changed man. The rest of his life, he cannot stop but brag and boast and declare who Jesus is. That's his life. That's his breath. In him we live and move and have our being, Paul said. He used that from some of the Greek poets, and he adopted it for his own life. And he, go, and he says this prophetically, Acts 28, verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Who's he talking about? Israel, the witness to the world of God, Yahweh, 
They were to be the light to the nations. They were to bring Messiah and to be a, a light to all nations and to declare Messiah. But they were, became so dull with God, they didn't listen to God, they couldn't see God, they were no longer awestruck by God. That's what this prophecy is. Woe to the church. Woe to any of us who have become so dull of hearing. I heard that verse before. So dull from being excited in the presence of God. Yeah, I just didn't like the music tonight. It wasn't my favorite song. It ain't about the music. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the, the chairs. It's not about the time. It's not about anything. It's about him. And so Israel had become so dull that they lost their astonishment of who God is. That God is so glorious, he became flesh, dwelt among us, and died for us. And Paul talks about this. Now, now that's astonishing. Now, what I find interesting is Jesus was amazed. It would take a lot to amaze Jesus because he knows everything, right? So there's two things in Scripture that Jesus is absolutely blown away. He's amazed at. Let's take a look at him. He goes, Mark 6, 5 and 6. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracle among them except to place his hands on a few sick and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Just astonished. I'm speechless. Can you imagine Jesus being speechless? It's like, I've come here to bring all of this and, and none of you want it. Now, let's get something straight theologically. Why couldn't Jesus do any work there? Because of their unbelief? <laughs> you were in my class. <laughs> exactly right. See, many people teach and preach that with a lack of faith, Jesus can do nothing. So Jesus' hands were tied because there was no faith there. I don't believe that for a minute because Jesus never did anything based on someone's faith. Do you remember what Jesus said on all the works that he did? He did them because he saw his Father doing them. Jesus healed someone because Father said, heal that person. Jesus touched this person because Father said, do that. Jesus did this because Jesus, Father said, do this. Jesus didn't do something because Father said, don't do that. Does that make sense to you? Because if we tie the abilities of Jesus to our ability of faith, we have limited a sovereign God. We just don't have enough faith so God can't move. Really? If you'll see, if you'll look where other portions of Scripture where they had a lack of faith, Jesus rebuked them and then guess what he did? What they needed. Jesus, we're going to die. The wind and the waves, they're overtaking us. He goes, how long will I be with you, you men of little faith? And then what did he do? Stopped the wind and the waves. I thought they didn't have enough faith. They didn't. But the Father told them, stop the wind and the waves. Let's talk to these guys. <laughs> so the reason Jesus did no works or miracles in that city of unbelief is because the Father says, it's enough. Let's move on. And Jesus was astonished that Messiah had come to them and they wouldn't receive. And so that astonishes him. 
Look at brothers and sisters, it astonishes Jesus at the lack of people who will receive what is ready, that he's ready to give. We've got to be a people of faith. We've got to be a people that come into here with great expectations. Great expectations. And God moves. He's ready to move. But if we don't let him fit in our program, we've got it all planned out. We can't change or alter anything. We'll take it from here. And I think he's astonished many times. Really? But there's a second place that Jesus is astonished, and it's with the Roman centurion. And the Roman centurion said, Rabbi, would you please come? Would you heal uh, my son? Would you come and, and come to heal him? And, and he said, I will come. And he said, well, you don't have to come to my house because I know you're a man under authority. And like I being a man under authority, all I have to do is give a command, and it will be so. So I know all you have to do is say it, and he will be healed. And Jesus said, he was amazed at him and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. This is a Gentile saying this. He had great faith and he's speaking for us. He's speaking for us. That if you will trust Christ, we're the ones where Jesus doesn't come down and do it. He has us do it. He says, you do it. He said, he gives the command. In the name of Jesus, I command. And that's what we're doing. Going under his authority. We're people under his authority to go and to preach and to cast out demons and to lay hands on the sick and to declare his words of truth. And in doing this, our faith, we know that he will do what he says he'll do. That astonishes Jesus. He loves that. He loves people who will do what he told them to go do. So, what I'm saying tonight is Jesus is radiant. He's glorious. And we have got to know Him as that. We can't become dull with Him. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 5.27, the church is called radiant. And to present her to Himself. He washes us with the washing of His Word so that He will present to Himself a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Radiant. What kind of radiance do we have? What do we reflect? What does the bride reflect? The glory of Christ. Jesus reflects the glory of the Father, and we reflect the glory of Jesus. That's what the church is to be. The church is supposed to be radiant. The church is supposed to be amazing. The church is supposed to be awesome. Because we're reflecting one who is awesome. You ever go out in the, in the night sky and see a moon that is so brilliant and gorgeous and big? That moon doesn't have its own light. It's radiating the light of the sun. And it's glorious. That's the church. And that's how the church in the book of Acts started out. Radiant. Another word for radiant is gorgeous, brilliant, wonderful, glorious, full of glory. Look at in the book of Acts. Utterly amazed, they said, aren't these, those who, speak are, those who are speaking are Galileans? Because of the words of truth. 
Acts 2.43, everyone was filled with awe with the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Acts 4.13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with whom? That's radiance. The radiance of Christ was in them. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That's the radiance. I don't have a lot to offer, but what I do know is Him. And I give you Him. We are containers of Him. Containers of an awesome God. Containers of an awesome and wondrous God. What are we holding back? We go on and He says, uh, Acts 3.10, they were, when the lame beggar was healed, oh, they were amazed. <laughs> Missing a word when the lame beggar was healed. Acts 4.13, they were amazed when Peter and John spoke bravely. Uh, Acts 5.11, people were terrified and amazed when Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead. So, I mean, church was pretty dangerous <laughs> to be there. Now, I like what Mike Iocanelli says. How did we end up so comfortable with God? How did our awe of God get reduced to a lukewarm appreciation of God? How did God become a pal instead of a heart-stopping presence? How can we think of Jesus without remembering his ground-shaking, thunder-crashing, stormy exit on the cross? Why aren't we continually catching our breath and saying, this is no ordinary God? We've become accustomed to our rituals, accustomed to our Bibles, to accustomed to our prayers, and to accustomed to our daily life. We're not overwhelmed by God. And we've got to get to that place again. We've got to begin to get there. And can I tell you, this is what's going to take us there. Risk. Risk. We're not amazed at God because we don't do anything amazing. We don't risk anything. We want God to come do everything on our time, at our convenience, for our need. We've got to start taking risks. Do something that would warrant something amazing. Go to that person who would never in your wildest dreams ever think that they would receive Christ and begin to talk to them about Jesus. Take the risk. David Wilkerson, a young preacher, heard about the gang violence in New York. This guy was a country preacher. God told him, go to New York and speak to the gangs. What, are you crazy? He was. And he took the risk. Because he knew the awesome presence of God. He knew God was unbelievable. So he knew that he could carry that unbelievable, awesome God into that place. And he went there. You know the story, the cross, the switchblade. It's, it's historical and everything. He went in there and Nicky Cruz, he met the gang leader. He begins witnessing to him. And this guy gets saved and he begins getting the rest of the gang saved. And the rest is history. That's awesome. There are so many wondrous, awesome stories of people, but it'll never be awesome if we don't take the risk or don't walk in the realm of awesomeness. 
We've got to begin doing that. Now, I know it's a stretch. I know that's hard. Let me close with this. John 5.20, Jesus says this, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. And the Father will show Him greater works than these so that you will marvel. Jesus is even saying this, that halfway through His ministry, people are marveling and He's saying, guess what? The Father's got more things that are even more awesome to show me. You're about halfway through your life, some of you. I won't speculate with others. Some of you have a long life to go. I don't know how far you are, but can you believe that God's got more awesome things than what you've seen now? Amen. Jesus had that expectation. There's, there's, there's going to be greater things He's going to have me do. And I believe that for you. There's going to be greater things He's going to have you do. Look at you say, well, I didn't see a miracle. I could ask, how many of you here have seen a miraculous healing? Raise your hand. Miraculous healing. All right. There's enough testimony here that God still heals, Right? The book of Acts is a book that spans 30 years. We read it as if it was an everyday occurrence, these astonishing, wondrous things. We don't know what happened in between. It's a 30-year span. It's the Reader's Digest of the Miraculous. But I can take a survey right now, as I just did, and I can have 30 to 50 miracles listed here that you'd go, God, is awesome. And we could share them with each other. How many of you have seen someone gloriously saved? Someone you never thought would get saved and they got saved and they're on fire for Jesus. How many of you? All right. We have more healings than than, people saved. How many of you know people that got saved? Okay, good. Thank God. Dead people coming to life. Is that awesome? People living in eternity with God. That's awesome. And we've seen sign and wonders. We've seen that already. So God's awesome. It's happening. And it's happening with you. And Jesus said to the people, a lot more is coming. And I believe he's saying it to you. A lot more is coming. This is the day to take the risk. This is the hour for us to be so overwhelmed with how great God is that we need to begin believing to take risks. He goes on in John 1, 49, 50. Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. And Jesus said to him, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You're going to see greater things than that. That's when he first called Nathanael. Jesus had a word of knowledge to him. Obviously, when you read the story, Nathanael was under a fig tree praying, oh God, may I be a man without guile. Hour later, Jesus comes by and says, hey, Nathanael. Thou art a man without guile. What? (laughs) Jesus read his mail. Jesus spoke to him. And he says, you think that's something? He said, you've seen angels. You'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Heaven's coming down, buddy. Heaven's coming down. And I want to tell you, that ladder's still there. And that ladder reaches into your soul. That ladder reaches you. And heaven's coming down out of you. I close with this. John 1, no, yeah, John 1, 14 to 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. That's, it's actually John 14. John 14, verse 12. John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, or amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Why don't we stop right there? What works did Jesus do? When he says works, what does he mean? Yeah. 
miracles. What else did Jesus do? I want to take a minute. Let's list these things because when I'm saying taking risks, you're going to say, I don't know if I can do a miracle. Let's just start with the things Jesus did. Jesus did what? What did we? What did, let's list some things. Healed the sick. What else? Loved the unlovely. Why don't we ever go for that? Because I want you to begin at the first things first. You know, we, we want to. I want to lay hand on a dead body and have it rise. Cool. Jesus did that. But how about we? You know, that, go for it. And but also let's go for the other things. Loving the unlovely. What else? Someone said something else over here. What? He taught. Yeah, taught. Truths from heaven. He saved us, right? He gave us the gospel message of salvation. Died for us. He cast out demons. We can do this. There are many people with demonic spirits. He fed the hungry. We can do this. Say it again, Mike showed compassion he was moved with compassion that was the main motivation of him doing astonishing things he moved with compassion anybody else anybody here got compassion yeah tax collectors and prostitutes with sinners he he ate with them and so forth cast out fear good Obeyed the Father. Yeah, positive sense. Yeah, yeah. This is good. Yes. Right. Now we can amaze Him at our faith. And so, so here we are. You've listed the things that he said we're going to do. Did he say we would do these things? He said, truly, truly. Now, when a a prophet says, truly, truly, verily, verily, amen, amen, that is a prophetic utterance, usually taking a prophetic stance as a prophet when they would make prophetic declarations. Whenever you see truly, truly, or uh, verily, verily, That is a prophetic utterance. So he is declaring the word of God. He says, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now, I stopped there so we could figure out what works we're going to do. And these are the works that, how did people respond? They were what? Amazed. So, if we do do these works, it should cause amazement. Now, he goes on though and he says this, and greater works than these will he do. Who? The one who believes. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. By him going to the Father, he had to first die to take the punishment for sin, to fulfill the law, so that he could rise again and be the new man and bring forth forgiveness and cleansing from sin and redemption for mankind to ascend to the Father. So now, We can be in Christ, his body, to do these things. It's pretty astonishing, isn't it? So, my whole message is, Jesus is amazing. And if we're in him, we need to start doing amazing things. And what is amazing is to love the unlovable, is to feed the hungry, is to clothe the naked, 
is to visit those who are imprisoned, is to lay hands on the sick and declare healing, is to cast out demons, is to bring this good news to a dead and dying world. It's astonishing. It's astonishing. That's us. That's us. I don't want them to be astonished at how passive we are. I want them to be astonished at how full of faith we are. Let's bow our heads. Jesus.